The text for the sermon this day is taken from selections from the epistle to 1 John. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On page XII of our hymnal, at the very top it has a quote from the Augsburg Confession. Our churches teach that the remembrance of the saints is to be commended in order that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling. So today is St. Nicholas of Myra Day. So how do we imitate him? Do we, have, do we learn to go ho, ho, ho? Or learn how to come down a chimney? Or learn how to lead uh, reindeer across the sky? No, those are the legends that have developed from the man that was St. Nicholas of Myra. See, one of the tricky things when it comes to Nicholas is that there is a lot of legend and a lot of myth surrounding him. What we do know about him is that he was a bishop who lived around the 4th century in the city of Myra, which would be southern part of modern-day Turkey. We know that it was very likely that he was at the Council of Nicaea. We know that he was buried, that he is buried, he was, his, his remains were sent away in three ships, on, which, by the way, is a source of a song. Three ships came sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Anybody ever heard that song? That's where the three ships is coming to. It's referring to the, de the delivery of his body to where it is now. Although it's interesting, it was actually delivered in May, not during December. But, but either way, that's about what we know. He was a bishop. He very likely was at the Council of Nicaea, and his remains are in, have been delivered by ship. But so there's, a, I'm going to bring, bring up that picture that I have. This is a picture that loves to circulate the internet. If you're friends with many pastors, I guarantee it they're circulating this image. Because a lot of pastors are nerds, and they also like theology. And so nerds know the movie where Roddy Piper comes in and he says, I have come to chew bubble gum and beat up people, and I ran out of bubble gum. Similarly, St. Nicholas, there is a legend about him and the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea was a very, very important council in the history of the church. It was at the Council of Nicaea that the New Testament was finalized, which books belonged to it. Now, during the previous hundreds of years, there, had been much, there was pretty consistent order, but there were some books that were included in lists, some that were in, some that got left out. And by the way, if you ever hear people say, oh, the Gospel of Thomas got left out, or the Gospel of Judas, don't worry, they were never, ever in consideration by anyone because they did not exist until about a hundred years after Jesus was crucified. 
so no one ever seriously considered those books. But there were books such as The Shepherd of Hermas, The Didache, First Clement, were all in consideration for the New Testament. There are books that almost did not make it in, such as Hebrews, Revelation, Second Peter, which actually we read from earlier. But it was at the Council of Nicaea that that was finalized. But that was not the biggest issue at Nicaea. The biggest issue was a guy named Arius. Arius was a person who taught that there was a time when Jesus was not, when he did not exist, that he was less than the Father. If you want to see a modern-day version of Arianism, you just look to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And also the idea that Je there was a time that Jesus did not exist is even in some of your Bible translations, such as the New Revised Standard Version. There are verses that are intentionally changed to make it look like it is not talking about Jesus. Such as Psalm 8. So the idea still exists, but at that time, the church was divided. Constantine was the emperor, and he knew that the key to the power of the empire was the Christians. In fact, that's how he took the empire. He had a dream one day that he was supposed to put the image of the Christians on his shields as he overtook the palace. And that's exactly what he did. Which, by the way, the symbol was actually that right there, the key row. That's what he put on all their shields. And he took the palace because the emperor at the time was incompetent, and so he was able to easily do it. And he understood in order to survive, they had to, he had to get the church getting along. He didn't care what they believed. He just cared that they stopped fighting because of the situation with Arius. And so what happened was Arius, when you came to that council, if you were a betting man, if you were looking at the election polls, which they didn't have, if they had them back then, Arius was the guy that was without a doubt going to win this. He was going to win with the confession that Jesus is not quite God. He's less than the Father. He has not always existed. But as they, at the event, there were people such as St. Ambrose, there was St. Athanasius. All these great minds of the church were there. And eventually, by the end of the council, the vote ended up being 300 to 2, and one of those two was Arius. So only one person sided with him, the confession, that you actually will confess in a little bit, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. That entire, all of those words were in response to Arius. Because Arius rejected all of those words. And who was there? St. Nicholas. And legend has it, at one point, he got so frustrated with Arius that he punched him in the face. Hence, I came to punch heretics. 
because St. Nicholas punched the most famous heretic in the history of the church. And he was put into a cell for a few days for it, to calm down. But the thing is, is what you learn from that is that St. Nicholas was a bold, and whether or not he actually did it is up to debate, but what we do know is he was a bold confessor that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the everlasting God in flesh. And he confessed it throughout his life. The other story that is very, the other story that is very well known to him involves that of a father and three daughters. There is a father who was, became very poor, and he became desperate financially. And in that time, in order for girls to get married, the father had to purchase a dowry. And if that dowry was not able to be purchased, you could not get married. He could not afford it for any of the daughters. And so he was and if a girl was, did not get married, there were two choices. Live in extreme poverty and basically eventually starve to death or go into prostitution. The father was considering prostitution because that was the best scenario for those girls. Well, Nicholas got wind of this situation. And so through the course of several nights, he came in through the window. Now in that time, they would lay their shoes, and sometimes some stories have it stockings, near the fireplace in order to keep warm and dry. And so through the course of several nights, St. Nicholas came in through the window and dropped coins into the shoes or into the stockings, and it was enough to pay that dowry, to save those girls from a very unfortunate life. Which, by the way, that is why, traditionally, much of Europe on this morning would have woken up to their fireplace with peanuts and candies, maybe some money or whatever, inside of stockings hanging over a fireplace. And this Saint Nicholas, when, convert, when translated into English, is Santa. Santa means, is, a, is a translation of saint and claws. St. Nicholas, it combined with, and by the way, not all of the legends come from St. Nicholas. You also have legends from Father Christmas. You have legends from Thor, the Norse god. And probably the biggest influence are on what we know as Santa Claus is corporate America. Be honest. They make money. But it all began with that St. Nicholas. And so I return to the question. It says, going back to that words from the Augsburg Confession, our churches teach that the remembrance of the saints is to be commended in order that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling. The reason he got tied into, into Christmas is because we're not that far from Christmas, and because they're so close together, it just naturally happened. But the, the intent was to focus, to talk about St. Nicholas is to imitate him. And that's where I believe the, first John, the epistle to 1 John 
in several points illustrates this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was heard was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Or you can think of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Nicholas confessed that. He confessed that Jesus is very God and very God, begotten, not made. And the truth of the reality is, if he were to see the way that we celebrate Christmas to this day, he would be ashamed, most likely. And the reason is, is because, guess what? It isn't Christmas yet. And yet we act like it is. And when Christmas actually comes, we're going to throw it away by 6 o'clock on December 25th. Rather than realizing it's another 12 days. And we totally throw out the season of Advent. Especially in a year when we so obviously need it. Have you ever been in a year that you have been reminded more of your mortality? More reminded of the brokenness of our world? Has there ever been a year where we have been more desperate for Christ to come? The hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that is not... We're not talking about Christmas. Oh, come Christmas. We are saying, Jesus, come and redeem, save us from this broken and fallen world. Savior of the nations, come. Oh, Savior, rend the heavens wide. We are begging him to return. The season of Advent, actually, many people don't realize this, actually predates Christmas. It, is, it, was, it just happened to coincidentally land together and work out that way. But the season of Advent has always been about preparing for the day that Christ will return. And it's a longing for it because the history of the church has been watching, it, it, we have it's lived through such turmoil. You read about the wars, you read about the persecutions, you read about the massive plagues which if, if you read the plagues that they endured in the, ancient, in the medieval church, you would be absolutely flabbergasted. Imagine losing two, imagine having a congregation where 2,000 people die in a single year, like it was with Philip Nikolai. One congregation. That is the kind of world they grew up in. And so that is why some of them would write hymns like Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come, which, by the way, Joy to the World is, again, not actually about Christmas. It's actually about looking forward to the day that he descends from the clouds. To say, it's done. all right, rise up, everyone. The new game is going and the party begins. That's what we've been longing, that's what... The church is longed for. That's why Advent exists. That is a season that Nicholas 
would celebrate the anticipation of Christ's return. He did indeed sing him a Christmas hymn. One of the oldest Christmas hymns is Of the Father's Love Begotten. A hymn that boldly confesses that this is who it is all about, the one who is in the manger. The one who is God in the flesh. The one who spoke everything into existence, spoke you into existence, is in that manger. And they boldly confess that at the Council of Nicaea. And it's a confession that in a little bit, we are going to say the exact same words. And quite possibly, it is why he struck Arius in the face. And by the way, I don't, whether or not that happened, there's a reality that at one time the church was bold in standing against false teaching. We are supposed to be the same. We shouldn't be like, well, you know, just believe what you want. Don't major in the minors. Who cares if people believe that that is the body and blood of Jesus or not? It's not that big of a deal. Who cares if people teach that baptism doesn't save? Let's just let it go. Let bygones be bygones. As long as we get the big stuff right. But when we are like that, we're saying God's word is minor. It's not that important. And remember, didn't I just say baptism saves? We're saying who cares if people deny that something saves? That God's word says saves? Now understand that those who confess this, many of them are still Christian. But the thing is, is we are not to act as if they don't matter, as if these matters are not important. And by the way, on the flip side, if baptism doesn't save and we're confessing it, they should get mad at us for confessing something that's not true. Remember Luther, when he wrote those 95 theses, he was risking his life to confess Christ as Lord in the fullness of what that means, to keep a close eye on your doctrine, on the teaching. And so by saving your lives and the lives of others, Nicholas was a person that did that. And so we are today to do the same. Yes, be gentle, be respectful, but still standing firm in the truth of Christ. The people who wrote the Augsburg Confession, they're willing to have their head cut off rather than deny it. If somebody told you, deny that baptism saves, if somebody said, no, we don't need to stop baptizing babies, we need to start baptizing them at 13 when they're able to accept Jesus into their life. If somebody told you, accept that counter-teaching or lose your head, how many would you willingly do that? There are people that have done that. Are we that bold? Nicholas also is a reminder to be loving and compassionate to those who are vulnerable. So again, going to 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So indeed, we have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. The lights that you see on the trees, a reminder that the light of the world hung upon a tree for you. The many light bulbs, the red bulbs you see on trees, a reminder of the blood that poured from the veins of Jesus, purchasing you, redeeming you, For every single sin you have ever committed, he washed it. Every time that you decided that his word was not enough to stand up for, it was not worthy to stand for, every single sin washed, forgiven, you made clean. But as he has loved you in such a way, giving his very self, you are called to love others. Nicholas loved the most vulnerable. He loved children. You are called to love the most vulnerable, to serve children. And you want to know the best way to do that? And we read in First Peter, you heard of First Peter a little bit ago, to prepare your hearts, make sure to be pure. Make sure that your heart is ready. Make sure you're at peace. That's not Peter saying, you've got to be a good enough person. Peter already knows you're not. He's telling you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep yourself in his word. Keep yourself in his sacrament. That's what it means to be ready, to hear the word, to receive the sacrament, to remember your baptism, to look to Jesus. Let's go to the next photo that I have. Like that wonderful photo that's circling the internet. St. Nicholas, as you notice, there's a Santa Claus version. We are to keep our eyes on Christ, hear his word, receive his sacrament. That's how we are made ready. And the greatest love you could give to a child is to give that very same gospel unto them, to make sure they know Jesus Christ, who is very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. May we confess that Jesus, like Nicholas, like Ambrose, who we celebrate tomorrow, and all the church that has gone before us, that we may join with those who have gone before us in the everlasting kingdom. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.